Hey y'all, it's me again, Bonnie Violet. I just wanted to take a second and thank my Patreon members. Patreon members are folks who contribute on a monthly basis, anywhere from $3 to $150 a month to support the work of a queer chaplain. Big shout out to Victoria Thompson, Jason Brandt, Brandon Stanton, Kim Silva, Brandy McCarg, Randy Sandnot, Bob Kaiser, Joey Heckmeister, Violet Rhiannon, Gabriel, Jonathan, Patrick and Todd Atkins Whitley. Thank you so much for your continued contributions. And if you're interested in joining the Patreon, just check the link in the description. Go to patreon.com forward slash Bonnie Violet. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Yesterday, I shared my experience with whiteness from birth through moving to Phoenix, Arizona when I was 18, 19 years old. And um, uh, today, I'm just going to kind of pick up where we left off. Um, just to be clear as well, I'm going to be sharing from my point of view at that time of my life, um, not necessarily where I'm at today, and try to just give a perspective of how things have have changed in my understanding and perception and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I think this is a pro opportunity for me to process and to acknowledge and maybe others along the way will get something from it too. Um, so, anywho, so I'm in Arizona, 18, 19 years old, and... Let's see, um, I don't think that race necessarily, again, it wasn't like in the forefront of my mind and I think that's part of the issue, right? And um, I, you know, I ended up getting, um, let's see, so I hadn't got HIV yet <laughs> and I wasn't gay yet, at least I wasn't out about it. Um, let's see. Um, Trying to see how that relates to race. So I guess the next biggest thing for me was just kind of thinking about as I came out and and uh, being gay and all that and kind of thinking about sexual partners. Um, I tended to gravitate toward, you know, I think white people, um, masculine white people in particular. I think that reminded me of home some weird way. Wait, <laughs> I like, I'm talking from my point in understanding now, not from then. Um, I was just really unaware and I was really oblivious to it. Um, this is a lot harder than I thought. Um, so I, as far as dating goes, I remember there was one situation where I had met somebody, had met a man who was Back at a bar, 
and um, went back to his place, hooked up, um, had a great time, all the fun stuff, actually ended up like staying the night. And um, I remember um, waking up that morning and then him putting a do-rag on his head and then all of a sudden, like I started thinking differently about this situation and the circumstance and I was like, what is that all about? Um, but I remember having that thought that morning. Um, I'm trying to think, I'm living in Arizona, it was mostly white, wasn't really around a lot of folks of color. I was really self-absorbed with um, dealing with my HIV diagnosis and dealing with being, at that time, seeing, understanding myself as a gay man and trying to be all okay with that. Eventually I ended up back in Idaho and Idaho, again, just kind of back to another space of mostly white folks. Um, eventually I did start an HIV AIDS organization. And I would say that was another place when I started working in HIV that um, I saw race start to play a different role. And I was very aware of it, but also felt a little powerless. Um, I um, I'm trying to think chronologically. So um, I started a nonprofit in Idaho when I was 24. And at the same time that that started, I also, um, I think I'm wearing my mask too tight, but <laughs> um, so also at that time, I, um, I got an opportunity to um, travel cross country. I lived in an RV and I was with um, six other people, I think about six or so other people. And we lived in an RV as we traveled across the country for six weeks from San Francisco, uh, Washington DC to San Francisco. Um, I'm trying to think if that was, if I mean, as we were crossing country, I'm trying to recall learning racial things. The things that I do recall from when I did go on tour, whether it was the first year or the second year was um, choosing not to be a speaker. We were traveling, basically we were traveling to all these colleges. And um, there was about 10 or so at that time in the second tour and people were coming in and out. And I recall that there was a, an all black college that we went to. And I remember deciding to sit out because like, what do I have to offer, of course, right? And there were plenty of other uh, black speakers that could speak at that conference. So I didn't really think nothing of it, I guess at that point in time, but that was, I guess, another touch point of, I guess, noticing race, creating some sort of separation um, within my life and what I'm doing. Um, uh, also on that tour, I was um, Marvelin. I met this beautiful girl named Marvelin. She was from Nashville. And um, uh, she had been on the tour before me and she was in Texas. And when she was in Texas, she um, went to go get a tattoo and they kicked her out of the tattoo um, salon and they said they wouldn't give her a tattoo. And they said they wouldn't give her a tattoo because she was HIV positive. And, um, 
I remember we were in Chicago and we were on the red line and um, we, she was sharing the story with me and all of a sudden I was like, well, let's get tattoos now. And so we, um, we stopped at the next red line stop because we saw like a tattoo parlor and it happened to be a Belmont. And um, we got out of the train, off the train, off the red line and we walked over to the tattoo parlor and we said, hey, we have HIV. Um, she was black. I was white, um, or I, I am white, and um, uh, I didn't think anything of it about her being black, but I remember we went to, and that's, I think that's this, the only reason why I share this, is that we went ahead and we went to the tattoo parlor and we said, hey, we want to get tattoos, we both have HIV, are you down with that? And they were like, sure, and we went ahead and I got my first tattoo, which is this, it's upside down, but... You get the point, it's a red ribbon. Um, and we went ahead and got it done. Um, the only reason why I brought that up is because I never thought, you know, I don't know like in Texas if it was a racial thing too, or if it was just an HIV thing, or, you know, that's kind of like the intersections of things. And at that time I didn't think, I think anything of it. I saw it as an injustice against somebody who was HIV positive. Um, let's see. Um, and then, now, as I said, I, I, so I got to travel the country a little bit and then I worked at an HIV AIDS organization and then there, there was this wonderful man who came, started working for us. He just got out of prison not too long before. He was uh, a black man who had actually served, I think like 20 years or something um, in prison for HIV non-disclosure. And um, he started volunteering and working with us and shared that story, which in Idaho, it's actually pretty common for people who are HIV positive to be prosecuted and put in, into jail or prison for a certain amount of time because of them having HIV and partners claiming that they never told them. Um, I knew folks who actually had shared that with partners and it still landed them in prison when it came to breakups and such. Carrie, Harry was one of the sweetest, like greatest men I ever met in my life. I mean, he was just so sweet and tender. Um, he volunteered with us. And then um, I remember he started, he was dating this white lady for a while. Um, and um, they seemed like really close and tight. And Harry was pretty open, was really open about all of this. I mean, he was, you know, a black man uh, being prosecuted for HIV. Um, and, you know, the white woman was the victim. Um, and like 20 years prior, um, which would have been about 30 years ago, was, you know, it was in the papers and everybody talked about it. So all of his stuff was kind of just out there already. And um, long story short, eventually, um, that woman were to turn him in and say that he never disclosed his status. And he went again... Um, had to go to court and had to um, had to basically, you know, he was potentially going to be cross prosecuted for um, living with HIV and non-disclosure of his status to a white woman. And it was very clear to me that in this dynamic that I realized a black man, um, a straight black man um, in line with, you know, who the victim is a white woman that it felt like he was probably going to be um, 
like prosecuted and treated a lot more difficult than before and that you know people with hiv already are thought to be liars and all that sort of shit anyway i've seen plenty of gay folks have issues with this but not to the same degree as i saw a, st a black straight black man and a white woman um he did end up going to trial and um i remember um i went actually there was quite a few of us we went down to the the court uh, house and we were there to to um basically to testify on his behalf and um uh the uh the judge actually wouldn't even let us go into the courthouse and or he wouldn't let us speak on his behalf and actually the the judge actually even lectured us and like shamed us for like supporting this man and i i do feel in my heart that he got treated poorly and got sentenced crazily because he was a black man um and his victim was a white woman in idaho and um He's now serving another like 20 plus years in prison. Um, most likely, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's, I don't know. More, there's a good chance that he could, I don't know. He's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of his age, but I can't think of it at the moment. His time has lapsed as well. But basically, I felt like race was at play and I felt really powerless. I felt like there was nothing I could do about it. And I feel like that was a lot of, my understanding at race up to this point is that I I was somewhat aware of it. I felt powerless about it. I felt like it was just the way it was. Um, and I think until this point, until I had like a really near and dear friend and seeing how it impacted like a real person, I think that's when I started to really get a little bit more deeper understanding than like this isn't right, but like, this is really kind of, like, this is really fucked up. Um, and I guess that happened and I wouldn't say not, not much changed. Um, I moved to, trying to think if I had any other things in Idaho that come to mind. Um, I ran that organization for about nine years and then decided that it was time for me to leave Idaho. And then I ended up moving to Chicago, Illinois. And um, once I moved to Chicago, I remember realizing that all of a sudden I was white. Like, which is one of the reasons why I went to Chicago is because I wanted to be around people who were different than me. I wanted to be exposed because I just felt like there was more I could learn. And I don't know. So I moved to Chicago and then I learned what whiteness was and and not and the interesting thing for me is uh realizing that people were seeing me as like people of color some people of color were seeing me as a white person because they saw me as a white person they they made these assumptions about me or there was these things that would automatically be be assumed of me just because i was in the room and of course these assumptions were all actually great assumptions. You know, people would assume that I had money or wealth or that I was super educated or that I just had access to all these sorts of things. And, you know, as somebody who was, who grew up poor and in a trailer and all those sorts of situations, which I felt I was lacking in all those ways, I didn't understand. But 
you know, those were all, those were all good things. I mean, those things allowed me to still probably get jobs and to be in spaces more safely and um, for me to be able to make friends socially and just so many other things. Um, and um, I remember at first feeling like, almost like, but I'm not, I'm not white like that, or I'm not, you know, like, like I wanted to justify it somehow, but that's not my experience. And I think that's when I started to try to, um, I tried to just same, just try to same my stuff in the sense of like, okay, your struggle is black. My struggle is being, you know, a faggot with AIDS. And those are kind of similar. Um, and not realizing that there were difference, I guess. Um, like where, oh, so, so, um, so again, people made these assumptions of me because I was white that weren't true, but they were, they were like on the positive sides of things. They actually granted me access to things that I didn't think I had access to before. Um, and then, you know, obviously I was able to work with a lot of folks of different races and colors and like Chicago is beautiful in that aspect. Um, I thought there would be a little bit more opportunity to mix a little bit more. Um, there was lots of segregation. There was lots of very kind of, it kind of felt like intentional segregation. Like, and I, I realized now that it was probably a lot of out of safety that people were kind of in their own neighborhoods with their own people and having outsiders come in, you know, was not something a lot of folks were really behind. So, um, so that was an interesting thing for me to realize is that, you know, like I wanted to just show up in spaces that weren't made for me, thinking that like, oh, well, I just wanna get to know people that are different from me. And so I'm gonna go to this thing or that thing and uh, not realizing that people may not want me there and that my being there might actually change the, the atmosphere or the dynamic in some way. And I think I was still kind of a little, I didn't quite understand that initially, but as I was able to spend more time with folks and come to understand again a little bit more, um, I realized that um, I didn't want to just show up to places that I wasn't invited, um, especially places that were centered for people of color. Um, and, um, and then I guess that just started changing. You know, I was a little bit more mindful about how I showed up in a space and how the people in the space might perceive me and how that might change their experience with what's going on. Because a lot of those spaces were like around recovery and staying sober or accepting my gayness or my queerness or my HIV positiveness. Um, and um, so they were very vulnerable places that, you know, any sort of, anything that challenged anyone's security in that space was damaging. Um, and that was like the furthest from what I wanted. Um, so one of the things that became really important too was that, and a lot like me, like I knew that I was good at Alpha because I was a local guy, local kid with HIV. And so people could relate to me, they could understand with me. And HIV had become very, um, you know, had very much impacted black community a lot harder and in particular young black men and trans folks and so a lot of the the people working in the field needed to be folks who were who were who were black and brown and um i was a white person and i kept kind of still getting hired and i remember getting uh, going to a job and 
knowing that I wasn't going to get high, they, I knew, I guess this just is another layer of realizing that maybe I was in a position or a place. I was just being really mindful, really spec aware, I guess, of, huh, like I said, this is a processing situation, but um, I really had a, I really, if I'm honest, I really had a hard time feeling like just knowing where I stood um, as somebody who worked in HIV and AIDS, as an HIV leader, um, but realizing that the spaces that I was in were probably better taken up by people who were black in some ways. At least that was the question that I always had. So I was always checking in with leadership and whatnot. But I also felt, so I was in a position where I was able to hire, hire a lot of black and brown and young folks to work with this, to work with the folks that were at highest risk. Um, and I realized that how it was helpful was not necessarily my whiteness, but I was helpful in the sense of I knew what it was like to get pulled out of my community um, and automatically become this like leader or whatever. It just kind of changes your relationship with your community. It pulls you out and then that's a lot to deal with. Everything that you do in public is, is, um, is watched and, and judged and people start telling you shit that's really none of their business, but it sometimes feels contrary to the work that you're doing and that can be a really difficult thing to do. Um, a lot of times too, people, you know, they have jobs they've never had before. They have benefits and insurances and things that they've never had before. And so I saw that a lot of my role was kind of helping people navigate that space of being pulled from community in order to be helpful in community because they were the best for it. Um, and eventually realizing that, you know, that wasn't a space that I needed to be in any longer. Um, uh, where am I going with this stuff? It's so interesting to me. It's like, <laughs> just kind of speaking from what comes to mind. Um, and, um, so I'm coming up almost to work. Um, as you know, I left Chicago about three years ago and now I'm in San Francisco. One of the things that I was really disappointed about San Francisco was not being able to be in a space where there was more racial diversity. Um, and then, um, so I guess that's kind of how I navigated that space there in Chicago. Um, trying to think what else is coming up for me. Um, hello to those who, uh, happen to be on here right now. Um, so basically I just shared a little bit of my experience of living in Arizona, then being back in Idaho, um, working in HIV and AIDS, um, as well as, um, yeah. And um, still in a lot of ways, I mean, I've become a little bit more aware at that time about blackness and how people saw me and my whiteness and whatnot and all that sort of stuff like that. and my stereotypes and my ideals and my beliefs and my understanding of who black folks were and what they did and like all that sort of stuff, you know, that stuff that I'd only seen in movies, you know, began to change because I began to have friendships and relationships with, with folks. I mean, I mean, I have really 
you know like and so i guess that's what it took unfortunately it was for me to to meet people and to, to come to hear and understand their stories a little bit more um and i think in a lot of ways just to begin to see them more like more like me but actually not like me which is what i was trying to do before it's really more of like that in actuality they're actually um different you know and that the difference is important for me to be able to like to see and notice and be aware of um so i think that's kind of where i'm gonna leave it off today is the fact that um we are all different um that we're not the same our struggles are not the same um and um yeah so I think that's where I'll leave it with today because I am almost at work. Um, hi, Jamie or Andrea, Saban, Kimberly, if you're still there. I'm not sure who's actually on right now. Um, but tomorrow I will talk about my experience with in San Francisco, actually, where I ended up having even more opportunity um, to deal with racism and racist situations and employment and, and kind of like feeling powerlessness, powerlessness over that. Also trying to, I guess, figure out some way to change it. Um, and just starting to learn a little bit more and understand a little bit more. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> I hope, uh, yeah, uh, this is quite a process for me just to kind of get this stuff out. Um, so I, um, I appreciate those who, um, I don't know, who <laughs> come along with me on this walk as I talk. And listen, I encourage you to, I encourage folks, I have had people reach out to me. Um, feel free to reach out to me if you want to talk about something in particular, if you want to challenge me on something, like whatever. Um, just know that I'm not trying to come from a space of judgment or righteousness or higherness. I'm just really trying to share my journey. Um, my journey. Um, and, uh, like, and beginning to see things that I hadn't seen before. Um, so um, have a great day and um, I will um, walk and talk again tomorrow. Um, I'm not going to work, but I might still go for a walk and talk. Um, so I'll see you tomorrow around this time. Love you, take care, bye. Hey y'all, Bonnie Violet here again. Just wanted to take a second to let you know about Splintered Grace Podcast. Splintered Grace Podcast just completed its fifth season entitled Still Seeking. Splintered Grace is a podcast that I co-host with my aunt who is a conservative Christian and one of my biggest supporters in my trans identity and just life in general. While many family members are choosing to no longer speak, we have chosen to sit at the table and engage in difficult conversations to find peace and restoration. Over our 24-year relationship, we have had a lot of ups and downs, and we haven't always really liked each other. We definitely never understood each other, and still some of it we don't. But we love one another so much and so hard and really work hard to show up for one another. And our hope is that by listening to this podcast, others may be able to begin to have 
peace and restoration in some of their other relationships with family members and or other loved ones. Uh, Check it out, Splintered Grace Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts or on YouTube. Take care. Love you. Bye.